session five, aren't all religions the same? And so we begin with question number one as usual. When have you regretted trying to cut corners with a cheap knockoff brand? <laughs> I, I, I uh, ordered our son's flight tickets through Kiwi.com, and I never encourage anyone else to use that. <laughs> trying to save money, and I had to pay more money because mm. they changed the whole Anyway, wow. oh my God, that was cutting the corner on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid those cheap knockoff brands. You end up paying more. Sometimes five times more. All right? It's not worth it. Okay? It's a scam. <laughs> okay, anybody else? Okay, let's look at Bible Meets Life, page 59. Jumping on the bandwagon is a regular habit for a lot of people in businesses. When a product begins to grow in sales or popularity, others want to jump in and profit from it too. One popular reality TV show in the 90s led to an army of production companies releasing their own. When one type of food becomes trendy, like spicy hot chicken or chicken and waffles, <laughs> it seems like everybody in food services jumps on the bandwagon to sell their own version of the treat. That's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, however, not everyone holds to the same standards that made the original so popular. When it comes to establishing a relationship with God or going to heaven, many people contend one way is as good as another. Hmm. Religious leaders will also rise up touting their way is better or easier. Let me just call these what they are, chief knockoffs. Hmm. Attempts to mimic the real thing that fall far short. Buying a low-quality knockoff box of cereal can be disappointing to your taste buds, but buying into an inferior, false substitute for a real relationship with God is eternally deadly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We must safeguard against this happening with the message of the gospel. There must be a safeguard because we can lead many people down the wrong path uh, if we do. What's the point? A vast difference exists between faith in Jesus and all other religions. And it's good for us to remember that. Notice now, a couple of things. Uh, the Hindu religion contains 330 million gods. Get that? 330 million. The Hindu religion contains 330 million gods. How could you keep up with all those gods? But worship of, of those various gods lead to the same place, is what they say. Many Hindus believe something similar. We call God by different names and believe different things about him. But at the heart of it all, we are worshiping the same God. The Bible reveals a different picture. That's the Hindu's perspective, by the way. That's what they say about those 330 million gods, right? The Bible reveals a different picture. Only one true God exists. And we come to know him only through Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said that, I am the way the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh to the Father except through me. That's biblical truth. One God. The only way to know him is through his son. Um, let's look at Bible, uh, uh, the setting before we get into our two passages that we have for today. Uh, Isaiah 44 verses 60 11 is part of a larger passage. Uh, goes all the way from uh, 444, uh, chapter 44 to 623, in which the prophet Isaiah proclaimed that the Lord is the one true God. He called upon the Israelites to reject false gods and return to the Lord who had, for, who had forgiven them for their idolatry. Today this forgiveness is available to all through Jesus Christ, God's Messiah. In John 14 verses 5 to 7, Jesus spoke of his unique relationship with God the Father. He is the only way to God the Father and eternal life. And don't let nobody tell you otherwise. There's some smart folks out there who think they're smart, who come up with some stuff, and if you're not grounded, you'll fall. So watch out for them. Um, the devil has them really enthralled in what they believe. So let's look at the first two passages we have. First one, Isaiah 44, 6 to 8. Who want to take that one? This is what the Lord, the King of Israel, and its Redeemer, the Lord of Armies, says. I am the first and I am the last. There is no God but me. Who, like me, can announce the future? Let him say so and make a case before me, since I have established an ancient people. Let these gods declare the coming things and what will take place. Do not be startled or afraid. Have I not told you and declared it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other rock. I do not know any. The Lord of Armies out of Isaiah 44, 6. Um, the Lord of Armies refers to God's sovereign rulership over the created order. There are none like him. He is unrivaled in power and authority. It's a familiar scene in the courtroom. A defendant is on the stand and the lawyer asks, were you at such and such, and such location on the day in question? The defendant answers, I most certainly was not there. Multiple witnesses are called who can corroborate the defendant's whereabouts on that day. Their testimony is important because of the law of non-contradiction. Two contradictory claims cannot both be true at the same time. The defendant was either there or he wasn't. Truth is, by nature, exclusive. The same logic applies to religion. Don't all religions lead to God? Aren't all religions the same? Anyone who makes this claim betrays his own lack of knowledge of world religions because the various religions do not make the same claims or have the same goals. In Isaiah 44, 6 to 8, God applied the same law of non-contradiction in one of the clearest divine autobiographical statements in the whole Bible. I am the first and I am the last. There is no God but me. God then challenged any God, little g, to step forward and do what he can do. Do what he, God, capital H, can do. Announce the future, 
and declare the coming things. <coughs> Yahweh then asked, is there any God but me? The answer is resounding silence. Mm. The answer is clear, no one is like God. Because of our historical distance, we may not appreciate the importance of names in the Bible. For example, Abram's name was changed to Abraham in Genesis 17.5. Jacob's was changed to Israel in 37.28. Yet, God's name has never changed. His covenant name, Yahweh, the Lord, appears over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. But what does it mean? When God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, he identified himself. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Exodus 3.6. Moses wanted to know God's name. If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Verse 13. It was a reasonable question. After all, gods, like humans, have names. But God replied in an unexpected way. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Verse 14. God does not have a name in the conventional sense. He is not Ra, Baal, Marduk, or Anubis. He is absolute and wholly unique. He is God, and there is no other like him. The uniqueness of God, the fact that there is no other God, means God has no need for a name that distinguishes him from other gods. There are no other gods. God is simply the one who is. He is the one who exists. In light of the truth that there is only one God, Yahweh, and there is no other, God himself told us through the prophet Isaiah, do not be startled or afraid. When we walk with Yahweh, he himself is our place of safety, protection, and stability. There is no other rock. How comforting to know that the one true God is someone we can run to. He is personal and knowable, and he finds joy in establishing us with his protection. With the knowledge and comfort of God's unique presence also comes a responsibility. He said, you are my witnesses. All right. Now notice on verse 61, page 61, uh, it says Yahweh appears over how many times? 6,000 times in the Old Testament alone. Just in the Old Testament. All right. Yahweh appears 6,000 times. And what is the literal meaning of the name? I am who I am. Well, that's a resounding declaration, isn't it? <laughs> but notice, Yahweh, the term means that means God, to God, is, He's the all-powerful creator and sustainer of all that exists. Everything that exists, God is the one who created it. He's the one who sustains it. He's the one who needs power. He, he powers it. And okay? He always was before time that we live before in. the time that as we know it yeah he always was mm -hmm. king of israel israel was a theocracy with god as its king but notice uh we also uh see the term redeemer and redeemer the one who pays the ransom to set a slave free god did that for us god redeemed israel from slavery to egypt 
God's ultimate role as redeemer is to redeem people from sin and also from death. And uh, we have, uh, notice the key words there. Uh, the Lord of armies refers to the sovereign rulership over God's created order. God is in charge. He's large and in charge. God is unrivaled in power and authority. There's nobody like him. There's a song that one guy sang that says, Nobody Greater. And there was a great uproar in our country when one of the political leaders used that as an entry song. And there was a huge uproar Really? from the Christian community. He used it as a theme song for him. His, his campaign. Mm-hmm. Nobody greater. And I'll never forget it. Boy, he was, he was, he was whipped, left, right, and center. And they had to stop using it. That's Because the uproar was so tremendous. You know? He, apparently he said he didn't have anything to do with it. It was just his, his people around him who planned his whatever. Okay, but he didn't. He, he didn't re, re, uh, reject it when they used it. That's right. You know, until the uproar. He had the final say. He had the final say. He had the final say. God is no. There's nobody greater. He has no equal. And uh, and what has been read in here about the other gods? There's no other gods about God's name, because if, if you were to actually uh, give God a name like all the other gods, you would actually put him in the category of all the other gods. All right, and so he is—he has no equal. He says, "I am the first, and I am the last." And emphasizes God is eternal. He was present before time began, and he remain after time. Okay, he says, "There's no God but me," and so God is unique and without equal. But he's also all-knowing. He knows everything. Don't you like to gravitate to a person who know who think they know everything? Yes, yes, yes. People gravitate to yes. people who know a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, when you could go to a person and, and anything you said, they could give you an answer for that satisfies you. Okay? God is omniscient. He knows all things past, present, and future. Well, I really, I, I really like knowing somebody like that. You know, whatever problem you have, whatever answers you need, you go there and you got it. He established an ancient people, perhaps referring to Adam and Eve or the Israelites. But look at question number two. Question number two. What does God reveal about himself in these verses? The verses we just read. What does God reveal about himself? That he is God and God alone. He is God and God alone. I like that song too. God and God alone. Okay, there's nobody like him. Um, and like you said, he has no equal. There's no comparison. In the next verses, we see how we see how God continues to distinguish Himself from all the other idols that people were worshiping. Next passage, uh, Isaiah forty-four nine to eleven. Isaiah 44, 44, 9 to eleven. All who made idols are nothing, and what they treasure benefits no one. Their witnesses do not see or know anything, so they will be put to shame. Who makes a god or casts a metal image that benefits no one? Look, all its worshippers will be put to shame, and the craftsmen are humans. They all will assemble and stand. They all will be startled and put to shame. 
We cannot witness, we cannot be witnesses of God as the one true God without dealing with the fallacy of all other gods. In verse 9 to 11, God pointed to the emptiness of idols and the equal emptiness of those who put stock in those idols. Their witnesses do not see or know anything, so they will be put to shame. Those who speak up for idols are as blind, mute, and ignorant as the idols themselves. Later in verse 18, God described the condition of those who falsely believe in idols. He has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their minds so they cannot understand. Clearly God takes it seriously when we worship anything or anyone but Him. Let us not forget the first two commandments. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself. Exodus 23, 4a. In an effort to get in shape, my wife Audrey and I enlisted the help of a trainer. It's a good trainer who also happens to be a Muslim. My wife and I always pray together before we begin the workout. And on one occasion, the trainer wanted to join us. He said, we all pray to the same God. All religions are essentially the same. Let's pray together. How would you respond if someone said to you, the God of the Bible and the God of Islam are the same? A lot of people believe that all about all gods, a lot of people believe that about all gods that they would be surprised to know that religions are not inclusive. They all claims and we find fundamental differences between them. Here are several contrasts between Christianity and Islam. Keywords and doctrine found in scripture never appear in the Quran. Words like atonement, covenant, uh, redemption, and rede regeneration are absent. The Quran claims Jesus was not crucified but that he was only but he only appeared to be crucified this assertion flies in the face of one one definite fact of history jesus death by roman crucifixion the crucifixion of christ is functional foundational foundational sorry um, to the christian faith are we to believe the Quran, a 7th century source that contradicts early sources from the 1st and 2nd centuries about a 1st century event? Contrasts the ultimate goal of both religions. Scripture points us to a new heaven and a new earth where God dwells with his people. The Quran says nothing about eternity with Allah. Instead, it refers to the Garden of Eden, a place of lust. In Islam, Allah is, un, is unknowable. In Christianity, God says, but the one who boasts, but the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, Jeremiah 24. <coughs> in Islam, Allah seems unconcerned about those who suffer and does not love unconditionally. He only loves the good Muslim. Mm. Yet, in the Bible, we see a God who loves all unconditionally, Romans 5, 8, 1 John 4, 15, 18. No, Christians and Muslims do not worship the same God. 
We could say the same thing about every other belief system that is not grounded solely in the teachings of scripture. As God said about those who follow idols and all false beliefs, belief systems, they receive no benefit whatsoever from their beliefs and practices. But as we shall see next, we receive great eternal benefit from knowing Jesus. Okay. So we get a little glimpse there of what uh, uh, Muslims believe. And uh, in the text, we see one word occurring many, many times. And what is that word? It, re it, refer it recurs over and over. One word. Shame. Isn't it? <coughs> Oh, 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 See that word? Yes, yes, yes. In the text. Over and over that word shame occurs. Idol makers knew they were creating a god, thus they were leading people into idolatry. The word nothing means vanity, futility, and emptiness. Nothing, absolutely. And those who participated in false idol worship worship in ignorance. And then we notice uh, uh, some keywords on page 63. Uh, keywords on a doctrine found in scripture never appear in the Quran. Notice that? The Quran claims Jesus was not crucified, but only appeared to be crucified. What are you going to do with all those passages in the scripture that talks about the crucifixion? But why would you need to appear to them? Exactly. There was never any appearance of crucifixion. They made sure everyone died. And they were detailed. It was detailed. It was very detailed. I don't know how the Muslims can get around all those details. And then notice it says uh, Allah is unknowable in Islam. Okay, in Christianity, God's people know him. Uh, we have uh, some handouts here. But it gives us some contrast. Uh, Christianity and, and Islam, uh, more than what we have, what we've read already, and it, uh, it highlights <coughs> the difference between Christianity and Islam uh, as it relates to God, Jesus, sin, salvation, the scriptures, and heaven. So you can look at that and you can see the differences. Uh, between Christianity and Islam and how blatant those contrasts are. There's no way you could, you could, you could confuse them. So for this Muslim trainer to say that we all serve the same God, he was really confused. He was really mixed up. Uh, uh, Christianity, God, the personal, eternal, infinite creator of all that exists. He exists eternally as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But notice what Islam says about God. They believe Allah, Arabic for God, is the only one true God, eternal and infinite creator. The Trinity is rejected. As far as they're concerned, there is no Trinity. Okay? Now notice one of the things about these, uh, both uh, Christianity and Islam, they, are, they both, uh, both believe in monotheism, and in one God, actually. But uh, that one God is different. And then Jesus, he says, uh, Christianity says God incarnate. Incarnate, Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Lived a sinless life and died on the cross 
as a sacrifice for our sins. What does the Muslim say? Muslims consider Jesus a great prophet, but not the Son of God. He did not die on the cross, but was taken to heaven. He didn't rise from the dead since he didn't die. That's what the Muslims believe about Jesus. And notice what they believe about sin. Christianity says the nature of all of the the nature of all people to be disobedient to God and His will. That's what Christianity believes about sin. Notice what Islam believes: willful disobedience to Allah's will. Sin is caused by human weakness or forgetfulness, but not inherited. Does the Bible teach that? Absolutely not. And then notice salvation. Christianity says deliverance from sin through Christ's death and resurrection received through remembrance, Repent. repentance, and faith in Christ. What does our, our Islam believe? In Islam, salvation required a strict obedience to five pillars of Islam and good works. There's no assurance of salvation. Would, would, you, would you want to have a faith like that? There's no assurance of salvation? And then the scriptures. Christianity says the Bible, the Old and New Testament, is the inspired and inerrant word of God, solely authoritative, uh, the sole authority for faith and practice. What does the Muslims believe? Muslims believe the Quran is the word of Allah revealed to Muhammad. The angel Gabriel dictated the words exactly as they were given to him. And then heaven. Notice what they notice about heaven. Uh, Christianity says, Eternal life is in the presence of God for those who have trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord. Notice what the Muslims believe. Paradise is where the saved will have all their desires met. And this is, why, this is where the, 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 uh, the guys who blow up themselves uh, get. Uh, men will have companionship of young and beautiful women. And they fall for it. Um, yeah, that's, that's and they blow themselves up and go to hell. Yeah. Does it say? It's only the men. It's only the men. But if you're female, you really shouldn't go with that because they have an innocent. No. Women, women in general, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you do with the men who women are not beautiful? Like? <laughs> but women in general are not beautiful. Are not beautiful. Okay. Okay. Question. Question number. Question number three. Where do you see idolatry present in today's culture? Where do we see that present in our culture today? Worshiping things. People worshiping things. Okay, putting priority over things. Junk canoe. Junk canoe. Okay. Next we will see, we will read Jesus' words about the only way to come to God. Last passage. John 14, 5 to 7. Lord Thomas said, we don't know where we're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. For now on you do know him and have seen him. 
Thomas speaking on behalf of the disciples asked a question that indicated that they did, did not comprehend all Jesus was telling them. Jesus responded with a profound statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He used three telling words that capture one great truth about who he is. Jesus is the way. Couple this with Jesus that said next, no one comes to the Father except through me. We hear a statement that flies in the face of the claim that all religions lead to God. We have no way to God, I'll say, of Jesus. There is a self, self, salvation, and no else. For there is no other name under heaven given to the people by which we must be saved. Acts 412. How would you respond to the statement that all roads lead to God? Okay, that's question number four. Let's look at that question before we move on. How would you respond to that statement in light of what we read in that passage just now? How would you respond to the statement, all roads lead to God? No, they no. don't. No. <laughs> no, they don't. Just quote that one voice by Jesus. That's right. That's all you have to do. Jesus said, not the preacher or the prophet, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now let somebody refute what Jesus says. That's the way you respond to it. Okay? God's word. Okay, uh, T.N.T. Wright has a, has a uh, section here. It says, the belief that all religions are really the same sounds nice and democratic. Though the study of religions quickly shows that it isn't true. What you are really saying if you claim that they are all the same is that some of them are... That none of them are more than distant echoes, distorted images of reality. You're saying that reality, God, the divine, is remote and unknowable, and that neither Jesus nor Buddha or Moses nor Krishna gives us direct access to it. They all provide a way towards the foothills of the mountain, not the way to the summit. End of quote. And then notice, uh, there are three things in the passage. The other one is Jesus is the way. What is the other one? Jesus is the truth. Right? Jesus is the way to the Father because he is the truth. Jesus did not say he has the truth or he knows the truth. He said, I am the truth. Emphasis added. What I appreciate about Jesus' statement is that truth is personal not abstract. We find truth in a person, Jesus Christ. Truth has a personal quality in it. Truth is exciting. Truth is life-changing. Truth is exclusive and transformative. As the truth, Jesus accurately reveals God. Through him, we know what to believe about God. We need to abandon any preconceived notions, half-truths, and distortions about what God is like or who he is. No other belief system accurately reflects the truth of the nature and character of God. We need only to see Jesus, because in seeing Jesus, we see the only true God. Remember Jesus made that statement when he walked among his disciples? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said that. And then the, the third thing that we have in the passage... Uh, we have Jesus the way, Jesus the truth, and then he also says Jesus is the life. 
as the only source of truth, Jesus is the only one who can give life. He gives us life because he is the life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, John 1.4. Jesus is everything we need in every circumstance. You believe that? Yes. You better believe it. It's so. And we, many, many of us have experienced it, right? Jesus is everything we need in every circumstances. In every circumstance. Many people are offended by the exclusive nature of Jesus' claim. But he validated, he validated his claim by the uniqueness of his life and teaching. Jesus taught like no other. In fact, the, the Pharisees even, you know, had to agree that, boy, we've never seen any teaching like this before. They had to agree. They couldn't refute it. He showed he had the authority and the ability to forgive. They had problems with that too. He had the authority and ability to forgive sins. And they said, well, who does man think he is forgiving sins? Only God, Father, God. And Jesus said, I told you, I keep telling you, let us don't get it. I am him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When are you going to get it? They never got it. What an amazing claim, considering only God has the authority to forgive. He displayed power over nature, notice, over nature, over Satan, and over death. The ultimate proof that Jesus God was his resurrection from the dead. They couldn't top that one. <laughs> we will find no other route to a relationship with God. Indeed, we have no need for another route. Because only Jesus brings us into, the rela into that relationship. All we need is Jesus. Jesus. That's all you need. You don't need nothing else. Nothing to go along with that. No side dish. Okay? Jesus is the main cause. And that's all you need. Okay? Nothing else. But people keep trying to add a little something, a little something, something to it. Okay? You can't add anything to that. Jesus is the only way. There's no other way. To the Father, Jesus said, except through me. Question number five. How would you summarize the differences between Christianity and other religions? No comparison. No comparison. Christianity makes sense. It does. <laughs> Nothing else does. It's Two words, Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. Jesus said it in, in these three passages. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the way. I am the life. That is the difference. Other religions don't have that. They don't. What is the point again? A vast difference exists between faith in Jesus and all other religions. And that's what our lesson has shown us today. A vast difference, like a great gulf that the Bible talks about, exists between faith in Jesus and all other religions. Sorry. Don't fall. It's hmm? amazing how these guys, they kill themselves, like the farmers and people like that, and they still didn't show up. No, they're not sure. And, and, and the fact is that, that, that Islam offers, it says Islam offers no assurance. Wow. And yet they still go and they take their lives. Yeah. And they still don't know if they're straight or not. It's a gamble. <laughs> it's like playing Russian roulette. Okay, and you, what is in it for the women, though, in Muslim religion? What is it for the U.S. female, though? You don't really seem to have anything to look forward to. Nope. <laughs> no right. They are slaves. Yeah. Wow. Slaves. Sorry to interrupt you. Only the men believe they get some. 
Well, the well, women are blowing themselves up now too, so they must have promised them something. <laughs> the women are starting to do it now too. Oh, Randy, very quickly. In the Arab world, a woman is only noted for one thing that she is married and she has children. That is the fruit of the womb of the woman. Other than that, the woman is only looked at a common commodity. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate, that's the way it is, and that's one Yeah, it is. That's the way it is, yeah. I have a couple of friends that went to school where they just remain unmarried without kids. I wonder how they fit into it. They're not recognized at all. Because, I mean, they're sort of upper class. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, you know, their family has money, but they don't have any children or... Unmarried. Well, it's a it's a choice that some people make. No, but I'm saying I wonder where they rank in the Muslim situation. If you if you only looked upon as having somebody who was a wife and having children, then I wonder how those are. Not That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you know, brother Andy, they recruit families from all over the world. They promise them luxury things, and when they get there, they are slaves. And Husband go to war, whatever you want to call it. The wives and them with the children, they don't even see them no more. And some of them really want to come back home. They can't come. They stuck right in the Western women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. They are. They are. <coughs> they are attracted by right. and enticed by false, yeah. uh, false promises. Right. Okay. Let's wrap up with uh, um, live it out on page uh, sixty-seven. How will you? How will the truth that Jesus is the one and only true God affect your life? Three uh, aspects here: uh, uh, be educated, uh, make time to study the distinctives of Christianity in light of other religions. A good place to start is fortruth.net. Now it's four truths. With an S on the end of it, www.fortruths.net. Yeah, it's an S should be on the end of that. Oh, if you put four truth, you're going to get something. You're going to get a different website. Oh. But it's a good website to look at because it, it distinguishes four basic truths of Scripture. All right. Be prayerful. Partner with your Bible study group in praying for individuals who know individuals you know who might question the exclusive claims of Christ. Pray for opportunity to share and pray that they would be open to the truth of who Jesus is. That's number two. And then thirdly, be compassionately bold. And this is an important one. Speak up. Don't be silent when someone claims all religions are the same. As you share about the uniqueness and exclusivity of Jesus, be a model of his love and grace. In other words, don't act like a know-it-all, even though you know it all. Don't act like that. Okay? It says, uh, uh, show love and grace. The kind of love and grace that Jesus showed. Show compassion. You know, you know you're know, you sorry that they think that way. You know, it's unfortunate they think that way. Show them love and grace, but correct them. Be compassionately bold. All right? Don't fall for... Uh, the, 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 the criticism that uh, you think you know it all. You know, we know more. We don't know it all, but we know a lot more. 
because of what Jesus said. Okay, um, so we want, we want to be reminded uh, to be aware of people around us throughout the new year who have different beliefs than those that we believe in CBC, right? And look for ways to open the dialogue with those individuals so that we can share the gospel with them and really show them the truth uh, and, uh, and how they can come to know Christ in whom is life eternal and not fall for all the false stuff that's out there.